Hello and welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. Join me, your host, Tristan Stevenson, as I chat to some of the biggest and best names in the industry on a whole range of bar-related topics. From the finer details of spirits and cocktails to the latest global trends, we hope you're inspired by the variety of episodes available. Okay, I'm joined here in the studio by Pete Holland from the Floating Rum Shack, all-round rum expert and educator, and Ian Burrell, the rum ambassador... Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Uh, all good. Good. Thank you good. Cool to hear you. Yeah, Loving it. Yeah. Loving it. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in. Um, so we're going to spend the next uh, few minutes talking a bit about rum. First thing, I, I can't believe this is happening again, but I've just seen recently, rum is set to be the next big thing next year. <laughs> again. How many years again. have we been seeing this now? Ten years running at yeah, least. About ten but years. we are kind of making headway, right? I think rum is moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, he says nodding for the microphone. Yeah. But yes, absolutely, definitely, 100%. <laughs> yeah. uh, things seem to have improved. I mean, I, I remember when I first started hearing about rum being the next big thing, which mm-hmm. I guess was, yeah, about 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the category has broadened. There's much more variety there. There's higher quality rums in mm-hmm. pretty much every section of the category. Um, and I think bartenders are probably approaching it with a little bit more seriously now compared to where it used to just be a speed rail product that was hammered out in mixed drinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the bartenders really that have been helping the drive of uh, the category of rum because they're understanding there are more varieties for them to actually have on their rails. It's not just the old, I've got a white rum, dark rum, and the gold rum. I don't need any other rum um, for my, my particular drinks. They're actually... Um, tasting and sampling, they're going to festivals and events and then bringing them back to their bars and, and creating amazing cocktails for not only rum drinkers, but people that don't that don't know they enjoy rum. Um, so that's a great thing we're seeing now. The bartender's really pushing the category. I feel like that kind of sort of um, like one-two punch of social media combined with the kind of growing... Um, trend of quality bartender mm-hmm. um quality bars mixologists that you know uh, or, informed about what they're doing yeah. um learning off one another between the two of those things it's kind of hyped our industry up to to pursue perfection mm. um and and in, in as part of that we we're kind of inquisitive about every single aspect of of what's going on in a bar and it's not right to allow one product or one category to kind of fall short in that mm, respect mm. and so the demand for good quality spirits good quality rum is there from the bar side of things you've got bartenders that are passionate and want to communicate this to consumers yeah and then yeah. you just need producers to come along and actually make really good liquids yeah and and not only make good liquids as well uh, but make make liquids that people are going to start talking about and talking about their friends talking to their friends and recommend to their their friends and that was that was one of the reasons why for example created rum fest yeah uh, it was that 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 was that was a narrative there it was we know about this product so i want to learn about this product but who do we tell who do we find out about so you have festivals like uh like rum fest that will actually be a platform for those consumers after they've learned from these bartenders to share ideas and share what's called different tastes with the producers themselves okay like let's take it back to the start though let's talk about the origins of rum and a little mm. bit of history perhaps so i don't know which one of you want to lead like how did rum come to even be a thing Blame the Bayesians. <laughs> <laughs> I blame the Bayesians. The, re- the reason why I blame the Bayesians is because, they, I mean, there's, there's always these, these these areas where people say, oh, but rum didn't really come from the Caribbean because they were making rum inside the Far East years ago in China or in Indonesia and that. But the product wasn't called rum. They were sugarcane spirits. And that's that's where we have to make that 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 um, incision into, into the spirit itself. There are sugarcane spirits and there are rum. And all rum has to be made from sugarcane. 
but not all sugarcane spirits are rum. So we are talking about rum itself, and that name was given to the product by Barbados um, during the 1650s, or even maybe even slightly earlier, but all the documents point towards mid-1650s. So I always start from that point when I talk about the history of rum. I do give mention to other cane spirits. I mean, Brazilians can say, hey, wait a minute, all cane spirits are called cachaça, because <laughs> they were doing that about 100 years before that. But I always start off with um, um, Barbados when, we, when I talk about the, the spirit that we know and love as rum. So on, as a Jamaican, it hurts me to say that's a spiritual home <laughs> of rum. <laughs> and the name rum itself, there's like a few different conflicting ideas about mm. where it came from. There must be at least half a dozen interpretations of where the name rum came from. What's your favourite one? I think there's more Pete in there, more than half a dozen. I think so. I, 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 we're lost. Everyone it Rum bushuous. I don't yeah, know. I, brum, the, the old Malaysian word. There's uh, officinarium sacrum, which is uh, the Latin um, word for sugarcane, which rum has been made from. Always laugh at that when I hear people say, "Oh, that's where the word rum came from," because it's a guy named Carlinus who's um, um, basically a botanist and gave the name to a lot of what's called plants, uh, Latin names for plants. Now he died um, in, uh, I think it was like the 1700s. He actually uh, died after the word rum had actually been given mm. to the product mm. itself. So there's no way that what's called that could have been used for the word rum mm. because that came after. Um, rum had been written about by the Americans and by the English in Barbados and in Massachusetts, New England um, during the 1650s. So, yeah, there's there's those ones. Rum bullion and rum bus is probably the most common and most popular. There's the Dutch drinking vessel, the yeah, Roma. The Roma, the Roma, Roma yeah. Yeah. And the French, don't forget, Aroma. Aroma, yeah. <laughs> Anything that rhymes with rum or sounds vaguely like the word rum, let's attribute it to that, yeah? And many other things have been called rum as well. The mm. word's been used for, for other stuff, for yeah. other drinking. Yeah, yeah know, for so. other drinking. Yeah, they were called, yeah all, all types of demon spirits were called rum at <laughs> one stage. You know that card game, Gin Rummy? Gin Rummy, yeah. What the, uh, what, <laughs> why don't we play that more often? It's got the well, name of two spirits. No, I do. I do with Jake Berger. <laughs> You're Rummy and he's Gin. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we do a bit of Gin Rummy when we, when we get a chance. Yeah. Um, so rum's a, a product that originates in the Caribbean, we can all agree on that. And mm. then within yeah, that, we yeah. have... You know, including also like Central America and South America, we have mm. various different styles that mm. have then come out. Can we talk a little bit about how those styles originated? Because for starters, we've got rum made from, although they were all made from sugarcane, made mm -hmm. from different sort of sections of the sugarcane or parts of processed sugarcane, molasses versus mm -hmm. cane juice yeah. versus sometimes the syrup that's mm -hmm. made out of the cane juice. Yeah. So how did we come to have these different sort of base materials from different parts of the mm. Caribbean? Estate feels like sugar <laughs> yeah. estates. Sugar I mean, estates. Yeah, I think this. Is it. I think it's actually the back in the time it was a lot more blurred, and industrialization has led to that separation, um, and that's kind of cool. But I think there's in terms of process, we we also get the influence of home market versus colonial influence, like one suppressing the other, and and so when when producers or when it becomes a thing, at what time? So yeah, the the biggest thing that a, a friend of mine mentor talks about is desire mm. so i think that, that barbados had a market for the products they were making and they got very good at it because they're yeah. selling it yeah yeah and yeah, that's yeah. there's nothing quite like commercial to drive a, a thing and make you make you good at it but if something's been suppressed well then maybe then you join when the desire reaches there or sorry you're allowed to do it then the technology of the era is a little different and so you're allowed to 
or you make rum in a different style. But I mean, that's um, also down to, I mean, availability of technology yeah. and when the industry begins kicking off, right? Because, that's, yeah, because that's Spanish, that's a lot yeah. of Spanish-speaking yeah. islands, for example, never really used pot distillation, right? They just... Well, they, 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 they use pot distillation. I mean, if we break down the, the styles um, into four simple categories, uh, the, the influence by the countries that own the islands that were making a rum, you'd have the English, of course, they were the first, that you also have your French, your Spanish, and not to forget the Portuguese. And as, as Pete said, the, the desire to make rum from your raw material, your local material also, and your, your equipment also drove that particular style you then made for yourself and exported to other countries. So the English were making loads of money at the particular time to about 1650s, 1700s, making their particular style of rum with molasses in their pot still. They were also using sugarcane syrup. They were using scum. They were using um, skimmings and uh, all types of things. But essentially it was that big, heavy, robust rum from uh, pot still. Um, the Spanish, they were also trying to make rum like that in their colonies and their islands. But the um, the machinery at that particular time was these new column stills as such. So the industry changed because volume had to increase. They were now trying to make a different style of rum. So Jamaican rum or English style rum was the benchmark. And then all of a sudden, this new lighter style of Spanish rum that had been filtered a few times, much more lighter. Certain mixologists started using this particular product in their books, a la Jerry Thomas. And they then went to this particular style of rum as the as a go-to because the Jamaican rum was more expensive um, and, and heavier. And this new style of rum came about. And of course, that became associated with the Spanish style. Mm. And the French islands pretty much did the same thing. They were banned from making not only what's called rum, <clears throat> they were also stopped from selling sugar um, to the English colonies. Now, if you're not selling sugar, but you're making rum locally, instead of going to the molasses stage and doing sugar as the byproduct of that molasses, you just make your rum straight from fresh cane juice. Especially yeah. making aguardiente. aguardiente. Yeah. So then it's yeah. kind of mentally, this is something else they're making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. it's a little bit more for the common person. Or yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. made in the back garden. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a, a, a social climate and desire that actually created these, these original styles like the English influence, uh, the Spanish influence and the French influence. And of course the powers that be in Europe. This is what I find quite interesting. So, we're saying that rum, the style of rum was shaped by the social climate, the taste of that particular era. Mm -hmm. And then the technology came in to fit that particular desire exactly. rather than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, in that, yeah. right, this is the technology that's available to mm -hmm. us. We need to make a business out of this. Yeah, We've yeah. got to be able to sell it. Yeah. Um, ideally, we'll be able to make lots of it. Mm -hmm. A column still might help us do that because yeah, we can yeah. turn around a load of spirit. Yeah. And oh, look, it makes a lighter style of rum. That's quite nice, isn't it? Do you think that's nice too? Oh, good. We're all agreed that's nice. This is our style of rum. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to... It's chicken and egg, right? It is. Which Massively. one shapes the other? It's, I guess it's a bit of both, right? Yeah, it has to be a, definitely a bit of both. I mean, you mentioned us go um, <clears throat> making a lighter style of rum and using different types of equipment. The French islands all agreed that the coffee stills that were used in that particular time wasn't the best equipment for the types of um, raw material they wanted to use. So they slightly changed and created the Creole still, mm. which actually worked a lot better in that particular style of rum. Each culture has mm. an ideology around what they want their rum to taste like. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's not written down, it's unspoken, but it's yeah. a shared kind of truth between distillers. Mm. This is the perfection we're setting out to yeah. achieve. Or it might be down to a distillery. This is the perfect distillery style mm. that we want, which fits within our particular category of rum, let's say agricole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And everything they do, every tweak they make, every piece of equipment they use mm. is in order to try and meet that particular target style yeah. and flavor of product. Yeah. And obviously to do it. And with, also make money. Yeah, this is what well. also to do it within <laughs> the bounds of money. A, a business. If, if yeah, something yeah. is popular, if something's popular, you try and emulate that or try to create your version of that or yeah. your style to do that. Well, this is it. It comes down to consistency, I suppose. Once you think mm. you've got there, you've got to consistently produce it yeah. and make the kind of economics of the business work properly as well. You're listening to Diageo Bar Academy's podcast, Bar Chat. Still to come. For me, I always want bars to kind of upsell. A good bartender would know maybe what the next step up is. If you know that it's a lighter style, then you can explore that and you can live within that quite happily. If you want something a little more challenging, what's the route up? So talking about all these different styles that we've got, um, I always say, like, rum is probably the most diverse spirit category out there because we have rums that are kind of not dissimilar to vodka in their style mm -hmm. we've got rums that are more like cognacs brandies yeah. some that have kind of i guess a little bit like whiskies mm -hmm. um you know it, and then you've got spiced rums as well there really is kind of everything i've said to colleagues before i, I don't think there's a cocktail out there that you couldn't change the base spirit to a particular you, rum you as long as like, you sound like me if you can change you can switch out the base spirit to a rum a, a particular rum there'll, yeah. be, there'll be a rum that'll be similar to that base spirit that you're moving and the 100%. cocktail will probably still taste pretty good 100%. you can't say that about any other spirit category can you no not really definitely not um, a lot of the other spirits are um, they, they're quite <clears throat> distinct in their flavor profile and the aromas and that and uh, yeah once you start switching them out of um, or trying to trying to use them in a particular drink you do basically change the complexity to change the flavor profile of that drink completely mm. so you're right rum is rum is much more easier i think to to substitute in into a cocktail if you're for example a uh, one of my favorite drinks is a rum manhattan mm -hmm. and um and by just switching the rum let alone the vermouth or the bitters by just switching the rum you can make a multitude of different types of man rum manhattans mm. um as such but if some if someone said well what would you use instead of a um for a rum instead of a, in a rob roy then yeah i'm going to go for something really big mm. and heavy and smoky as a rum mm -hmm. as such to emulate that scotch then but if they're uh, having a manhattan whether it be a rye or a bourbon then i'm going for something a little bit more sweeter uh in the profile um using that rum in there so it, it is a lot easier as you i agree a lot easier to switch out the other spirits and put a rum inside there and still get an amazing tasting drink that will still give you that same profile. What you've got though, you, you need a little degree of education to understand the diversity within the yeah, spirit yeah, category. Yeah, yeah. So you can't just swap out a brand. Oh no, hope it has it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, you've got to get the right one. You have to get the right one. Sure. Yeah. So this is kind of leads me on to my next point. So Thanks is, for that, Pete. So, so is it is it a strength <laughs> well, it, or is it a weakness? The, this is the thing. So diversity is like a double edged sword, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Because it, it for for those who are informed. It gives you so many options. Mm. I mean, I think everyone sat around this table. We know immediately, right, if I want to replace a gin in this cocktail, I want to replace a brandy in that cocktail, I know which section of the rum cabinet to go to yeah, to yeah. find something that's going to work. Yeah. But, of course, that diversity is, can also be extremely intimidating, can mm. be confusing, mm. can be a barrier of entry into the category. Yeah. Um, also, people can kind of get trapped in one section of the category and not realise that there are other styles of rum out there. Correct. Yeah. So how do we go about educating people it sounds like a forceful kind of process, doesn't it? I'm going to educate you. How are not leaving this room until you <laughs> sit down. Tasted all the rums. What, what is, what's, I mean, you know, all spirit categories and all mm. brands are looking for ways of getting consumers and bartenders interested mm. in their products through education. What is it that rum needs um, in order to kind of uh, give some sort of method and logic to the entire rum because it's made in so many different countries correct made in so many different ways correct. so how do we kind of form a a, a route map for exploring this category 
So you take top line and you say Guyana. And that kind of straight away, in my mind, I have a, a style, but actually mm. that's not the same. It, it, once you drill down, there's always variation. And so, yeah, where a few years ago using an English or a Spanish or a French style of rum as a classification doesn't really work for me because mm. I actually I want a classification to speak to me of what it's going to taste like before yeah. I get it in my mouth. So, I mean, Trinidad now makes rum in a Spanish style as ex sort of English, English influence. English, and, yeah. and go to Venezuela, you go to Dusa, and that's English an ex Seagram style. <laughs> Apart from the fact they obviously add a, a, a bit more to it, but they're making English style rum, but Correct. in a very sweetened style. Mm. So, kind of, unfortunately, so you have headline data, but then you have to drill down on it, mm. and then you start finding those variations. So then, I guess that's kind of it's easy when people are interested in it because mm. they are going to start drilling down. Yeah, which is a very small percentage of of rum drinkers. <clears throat> um, as Pete said, within areas you have variants inside there. So, if I was talking about Jamaica rum. Yes, there's only six distilleries in Jamaica, but there are variants within those particular six mm. distilleries. And one of the reasons why I use country of origin um, as part of my um, uh, my my narrative about a particular rum is only because if you have if you are that small percentage of a rum drinker that wants to find out, you then find out oh what is the rules and regulation of that particular island or that particular area or that particular country. Um, and then, because no no classification is going to tell you what that particular product tastes like inside the bottle. That's your own. That's your own personal taste. But what it can guide you to is, what does the label say to me? If I see a number on there, if I see um, a distillery on there, uh, then I know something's been added or nothing's been added or potentially nothing's been added. Um, that's all a, a, a style or classification is really going to bring to the table for me. Mm. And that's what I try and pass on to general consumers. You need to discover the flavour and the taste of that particular region yourself and then make your own assumptions yeah i i often think that it's 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 difficult as like you guys like experts of the category you don't want to di diminish the sort of nuance and the complexity of like let's say an island like jamaica yeah of course. um but at the same time in order to get people into the category in the first place mm. isn't it still useful to say well jamaica has a kind of style oh no yeah yeah, yeah no 100 100 yeah. mm. because that will bring people to the table mm. um when you say Jamaica style, it's not going to tell you everything about the Jamaican style rums because mm. you have its own internal classification there. We have really light, uh, common, clean uh, Jamaican rums right up to continental stuff that they sell abroad that they blend in with, they blend in as a concentrate. There are brands from the island, inexpensive mm. brands that from the island that, that you perhaps, if you didn't know it was from Jamaica, you might you easily know. confuse it with any other Correct. country. Correct. Once you Correct. Highly rectified spirit is highly rectified spirit. Yeah, mm. yeah. Ir yeah. Regardless. Yeah. But, but the island can show its character. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and for those who, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I have a mental image when I think Jamaica, Barbados, yeah. St. Lucia. Yeah. My yeah. mind springs immediately to a style, mm. probably of the one that I, I like the most. But I, I could easily, you could you could lay down six rums, six different locations. So you could have a challenging set and a, mm. a, the one that's like, you wouldn't even guess. Yeah. And, and of course, the other problem with this is that there are a lot of countries producing <laughs> rum. Yeah. So to sort of say, well, look, we're even as a basic starting point to say well well look we'll we'll start by communicating about different islands or nations styles mm. great there must be what i don't know 25 different it, just in the caribbean and sort of central mm. america 25 yeah. different countries or islands least, yeah. producing producing rum so already you've got 25 different points this classification system mm. yeah. and that's difficult to remember and it's it's difficult to communicate the subtle differences between some of these different 
region. So I think, to be fair, that's kind of the, the classification. So I, I use a kind of a, a combination of enthusiasm uh, when I'm talking about rum. Um, uh, born out, but also, but if it tastes this way, why does it taste this way? Yeah. So that's kind of helping to people to understand why it tastes the way it does in their glass and, actually, and, and kind of normalising the language, trying not to hide behind fluffy marketing, mm-hmm. um, you know, make it actually, it's an educational approach. So we can try a bunch. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think it's possible to try all the styles of rum in one go, but but you have to try a bunch. And once you're into it, okay, now we understand a bit further. So, so using a classification that considers production style then really backs up the regionality. Um, yeah, because, I mean, there are, there are classification systems floating around now that place a lot more emphasis on the way in which the rum has been distilled, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is usually a good indication of the sort of weight and style of rum that you're going to get out the other end, right? Column mm-hmm. still versus traditional coffee still versus pot still, mm-hmm. and or whether or not it's been blended. In some ways, though, it doesn't necessarily matter if they, if a consumer understands the basis of why a particular classification of rum is called that. It doesn't matter if they can't link that to the production process, mm-hmm. as long as the term is relevant to the style of rum they're tasting. Correct. So as long as every rum they taste broadly fits mm-hmm. into that classification yeah. term, because a lot of people probably wouldn't know exactly what goes into making a single malt, I the different process, but they that. might know what a single malt should taste like. Correct. And yeah. so as long as to there's them. that link, to yeah, yeah, to them, as long as there's a link between the term and the style, mm. then a categorization system is doing its job, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But this, I kind of, when, I, when I, I've designed a few sort of back bar listings, so we have, for me, I always want bars to kind of upsell. Mm, mm. You know, we want to educate the consumer. And so if they're drinking, whatever they're drinking, but they feel the challenge, now they want to move on. So a good bartender would know maybe what the next step up is. So you, the classification, if you know that it's a, a, a lighter style, then you can explore that and you can, mm. you can live within that quite happily. But if you want something a little bit more challenging, what's the route up? And so a good, you know, a, 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 an excellent rum bar might have 500 rums. But if they're all in the same style, then it's not really, it displays no diversity. So a really good rum bar might have 16 different rums, but yeah, they can correct. display the category really well. Mm-hmm. And also to understand how you move on. I, I agree with you. This idea of kind of curating a list, because in a way, a smaller list sort of demands a little bit more um, guidance from mm-hmm. a bartender. Well, maybe it doesn't. A big list certainly demands guidance for a bartender as well. But it definitely opens up a conversation point. Also, it's more likely that you're going to know lots and lots of stuff about each product if Correct. you've only yeah. got 16 rums. I mean, mm-hmm. to know every single detail about 300 rums and to be able to talk passionately and mm-hmm. energetically about it is quite an ask. Um, I'm sure Ian would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... I was a good bartender. So, I mean, my, my, um, my, one of my early experiences, like from the blogger point of view, I, I honestly, it was um, popping a trailer happiness. You look at this beautiful rum list that they had at the time and you go, okay, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, maybe you recognise something in you. There's that, you know, I'm, I'm, I have... I'm not limitless with cash. I've got to, I've got to feel confident in what I'm buying, mm-hmm. and I'm going to enjoy it because I can't afford to waste that whatever it was at the time, yeah, eight yeah, quid or something, yeah, yeah. a measure. But then you get in there, and I go, actually, I, I said it was um, Jimmy Five Names mm-hmm. was there at the time. I like, can I have, um, you know, bartender's choice, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then, oh yeah, and then the server bought over a rum. I enjoyed that. I'm like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep keep going. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, James comes out from behind the counter. Like, how were they? Were, mm-hmm. they, were they all right for mm-hmm. you? Oh, it's fine. I trusted you. And, and and it wasn't about giving the most expensive. It was about something that was interesting within the thing. And that menu at the time was sort of listed by country, mm. which is cool. It was interesting. So I kind of I, I was, there was a degree of trust there. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, I left it some to to do it. And you don't have to spend a fortune to do it either. It's, it, it was quite, it was quite good. Um, but 
but, but what's next? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the list as was then was was pretty good. The list now is even better. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you think yeah. there's room for? Because a... I think res- market, uh, the, the the brands are responding and giving yeah. us ever increasingly interesting products. Mm. We've had some really great launches in the last couple of years. We, oh, abs- yeah. we absolutely course. have yeah. some really good stuff. Um, do you think that? I think this is probably more appropriate to a bar. Talking about flavour, mm. um, and, and in a way, I guess I'm kind of reflecting off what we do at Black Rock with <laughs> yeah. um, with whiskey by mm-hmm. categorising by six different flavour groups. Do you think yeah. that's an option for rum? So, for example, you have your I don't know, like chocolatey and sherried, yeah. like where something like Zucapa might sit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a light and fragrant where mm-hmm. you might get one of more, more lighter rum, perhaps from Puerto Rico or Cuba yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And then you you know you use these different flavour categories. Mm-hmm. You don't don't pay any attention to how it's been distilled, what country it's from, yeah, yeah. anything like that. You just do it purely on flavour. Is that an option for rum? I, I definitely think hundred uh, percent because what you're doing there, you're creating experience mm. uh, for the consumer. And as Pete said, if you only got a small amount of rum, and but they're all quality and they all basically show um, the the up the upgradeability of the products. Um, the consumer, what they want <clears throat> is something they're going to enjoy. Because I don't know too many people that go to a bar to drink and not enjoy themselves um, and not have a good experience. So something <laughs> like that, <laughs> I don't know many. <laughs> so you want to have a great time. Um, so something like that is a great experience um, for them. And if you're guiding them, which even is even better, and say, if you want something more sherry notes or sweeter, then have this. If you want or sweetened, I should say, and have that. If you want something that's sweet naturally, or if you want something that's dry, much more like lighter. your throat. Yeah, like my throat. We better have a <laughs> sip of this. Is this, uh, is this? Oh, it's not. Don't for the, worry. For the Puerto Rican rum, it's water. We'll, we'll have a sip of something a little bit mm. um, more interesting. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're creating you're creating what's called a, a, a mind map for them um, as such in regards to flavor, and then that's when they will say, oh, you know, what? I like that particular style of rum, and then they'll look to discover what the brand is or the production of it once they peel away some of the layers but i think that's a great idea we have, we have um other i mean I, I, ultimately i i i never thought i'd want to open a bar because I've, I've seen it's hard work quite frankly and i come out <laughs> yep. from the, the other side of the bar but i you're much I, better I, off sound I, the other I'm, side mate, honestly. I, i'm yeah. getting I'm, to be fair i i get a, i'm getting a little closer but so i i think about how would i lay it out and i like the idea of laying out a menu that says these are my pure single rums but then against that, I would have to say, and this from some Guyana and this yeah. one's from Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. I can go by country, and then next to that, then I can then say, this is a pure single rum. So mm-hmm. I, I, it would be, for me, my ultimate one would be a, a combination. And if it then further had a flavor style against it, fine. I, don't, you, I know you don't want to make a menu too complicated, but if you can share information, I mean, I, one of the ones I did recently was like, can we, you know, I, I, I say this about normalizing language. So if it's a rum that's been sweetened, for example, put it there. Put it actually just put a note on there so that if someone's enjoying that, they know what to look for as a marker That's to right. carry on enjoying that style. So yeah. you know when yeah. you have your 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 range of different things. So I think for me, if I was going to kind of have to commit a memory right now, it would be say it would be regional, but it would have have those classifiers because I don't want to mm-hmm. scare people by saying that pure single rum is the you know is the the driver because also people go to Dominican Republic on holiday they come back they've had a fantastic time when they go into a bar they see that immediately they're transported so it's a very evocative spirit it's very emotional um, and I don't I wouldn't want to lose that you know I don't let, let's let's keep the emotion the enjoyment of it you know mm-hmm. so but normalize it but, but share it mm-hmm. you know and and you can put a code on the very easily on a menu mm-hmm that for those that are interested, they will look further. For those that are not, then they just pick out the brands they want. And some people will never go beyond the one that's advertised in a magazine because that's where they feel their safety is and they don't want to ask the bartender. But the ones that want to ask will drill down. And you know what? If you've got a menu when someone comes up and goes like, so what does this mean? 
you've started a conversation with a person mm. on the other side. And once you've got that conversation going, then you, then you can build trust. You earn trust. Yeah. You've got a reason for them to come back. And I just that 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 feels like that point of upsell. Mm. Always, yeah. It always comes to upsell and to make someone's experience a little better. Yeah. So yeah. a menu is a, a tool to get you there. Yeah, I, you touched on a couple of things there, and I want to come back to one or two of them. But the fir first thing I want to say is about menus, and I. I like I say, I've already mentioned my approach to it, which is to basically give as little information as possible apart from flavor. <laughs> mm. um, because I feel like anything that could potentially be a barrier, anything that could be intimidating, anything that could give someone cause to kind of go, oh, I, this might be an embarrassing situation because I don't understand what, you know, uh, Guatemala or Guyana means in the context of rum. Mm. I feel like that could potentially be a barrier. So, mm, what, right, actually, I agree. Yeah. So, I guess that's why I, I'm a little bit fixated on flavour because mm. you can still bring all that information in. You can still give them every single bit of information they like about the country of origin, the way it's been produced or mm -hmm. matured or whatever. But you can do that verbally as a bartender doing your job if you have time. Yeah. Well, this is true. Yeah. You just need to employ more people, basically, <laughs> just enough people. But it's, I, I just look at it like a sommelier's approach, really. I think enjoyment should be the. the the general general part of it and if you understand flavors fine as pete said is that emotional connection with rum and mum rum's made in in the tropics although it's made all around the world now but it's 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 history is born to the tropics and a lot of people's first encounter of rum in, a, in an environment where they're really enjoying themselves is on vacation is on holiday is in one of these tropical places that where rum is part of the part of the way of life out there so um to to to, to try to run away from that is a crime, I think, to rum. Rum should be fun um, in all these guises. And it's I, I, this is a really good point because rum is very transportative, isn't it, mm -hmm. in its flavour? I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you, actually, I've got on my list like memorable rum moments. What I'll tell you one of mine, though, was... Um, on the island of Marigalant. Oh, nice, yeah. Which was yeah, lovely yeah, place, yeah, lovely is, place. I toured is. around rum distilleries on my little moped. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I was drinking tea ponch in a bar at the end of the, in, in an evening on my own, mm. just sat by the, by the water. Yeah. And the smell of that rum with the lime and the sugar mm. and everything. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, like really, every time I smell a cane juice rum, yeah. now, pretty much anyone, it best, just yeah. takes me straight back there because yeah. it, it's a, an aroma that's so powerfully associated to that part of the world yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and I think that, that's how that's what a, a great way of getting people into rum is just mm. getting them thinking about where it comes from yeah. and, start, and and thinking about the flavours of mm. those those mm -hmm. islands or those countries yeah. and how those flavours have found their way into the product because that's you know that's the th those flavours are kind of what mark those cultures as being Correct. different Correct. Right? you know yeah I mean I, I, I've said to quite a few bartenders around the world that, that for me <clears throat> the mecca um, for rum cocktails um, is Cuba to go to Cuba because a lot of the cocktails that are that we've seen as like been the the backbone of our industry the, uh, some of the first drinks you've learned to make the most popular rum cocktail the daiquiri was created on that island so I always say you should look to try and go there and see some of the bars and um, and take in some of the vibe the music the smells uh, and, the, and see how people and locals are drinking those cocktails mm -hmm. the, the, the daiquiri the mojito even if you want to go as far as El Presidente and that point that both of you touched upon that we should probably explore in a little bit more detail is this uh, the sweetened rum category. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it seems to me that rums that have been sweetened, i.e. sugar has been added to it after it's been matured mm -hmm. before it's bottled, is serving as an interesting kind of gateway mm -hmm. into the rum category for a lot of people. 
presumably because sugar sort of softens the alcohol a little bit, mm -hmm. makes it seem that little bit more smoother, which yeah. is a term yeah. that I absolutely hate, but yeah. I'm using it anyway just to try and roll you up a little bit. <laughs> Palatable. Palatable. Um, like, I mean, this isn't going away, it doesn't seem. So no, it won't do. It won't do. How? No, I think it will get bigger. Actually. Yeah, so how do, we, how do we view this as in the context of the entire rum category as a potentially a gateway rum, and how do we then sort of use it as a way, I guess, to help people experience explore the category in a more fuller way. So I, I, for, for what it's worth, mm. I get, um, I hear a, a, a few people say it's not a gateway. Yeah. It's I'm, just a trend. I, I agree. <laughs> however, however, I've drunk a lot of rums in the past that were sweetened and I, mm. my palate and I, I changed and I moved on. Yeah. So I, I think um, to be seen, I have to say that many moons ago, I, I, I'm a beer drinker. Mm -hmm. My my waistline's testament to that, I think, and um, and and my wife was the one who was drinking the spirits neat, and I was like, she's doing it, and I need to do it, and so you find then something, oh, it goes down, I can drink it, it's neat, it's easy. Yeah. There is a little bit of easiness about it, and it's kind of good, but it does still introduce the, it doesn't hide the notion of exploration, mm. and you are trying things. I don't say it is strictly a gateway because I think there's going to be people that are just going to drink what they drink because they like it. Yeah. I mean, we you know, we put tomato sauce on our chips, you know, yeah. and there's plenty of sugar in that. Yeah. So um, sugar in itself is not a the thing. I've, the, the, the bit I find disappointing with it perhaps is that actually it just masks a little bit too much of the flavours underneath and I find that a shame. But, mm. you know... Uh, well, I mean, which yeah, is why yeah. I want people to know it's sweetened on the menu, that's, so you know. That's, that, that's if the you thing. Yeah. Just say it is, then you know, and yeah. you make an informed choice. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with sweetened rums as long as we know they're sweetened. Transparency, it, yeah, it's transparency. Whether it's on the menu, whether it be on the bottle, as such, because as I said, a little, as, as people said, is a little bit of a little bit of sugar um, added to a product can drive flavour as well. The, the original, the the reasoning why sugar was was allowed to be added to rums according to the EU was to round off the flavour, a little bit of the raw material inside there. Some rums, you don't know how round they've actually gone because of that. It's drawing big circles in <laughs> the air. big circles inside there. But they've limited that now. They've limited it now to the, the new rules, new EU rules. So where you had some some brands that were maybe 25, 30, 40, 50 grams of uh, sugar per litre, now 20 is a maximum for the, uh, for a rum sold in the EU. Mm. There are some such. brands, of course, that maybe take the word rum off the label. They 100% will. They are 100% will. They'll just take rum off there and it'll be a, a, a spirit or a liqueur. But then at least if the question is to be asked by that consumer or by the bartender, then the brand ambassadors or the brands can say, well, you know, yes, I do add that because you don't see the word rum on my on my label mm. uh, such. Or you see liqueur or you see Caribbean spirit. But I think clarity is the most important thing. What about spiced rum? I mean, my first mm. kind of introduction to rum personally mm. was through Morgan Spice. Oh, right, okay, yeah. So yeah. That, that, I guess, was my gateway. Yeah. Um, and now there are a lot more spiced rums available. Mm, I remember when I did my rum book, mm. I started tasting spiced rums, yeah. and I was like, I don't think I'm going to include these in the book. <laughs> <laughs> spiced rum is not rum. Yeah. It might have the word rum in there, but it's not rum. As soon as you yeah. flavour, it's not rum. Yeah. It's no more rum than gin is vodka. That's mm. right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, a nice way of putting it. We were talking about yeah. botanical rums before we started. Uh, yeah, podcasting. yeah, because um, uh, one of the other things you, you hear, well, in fact, you started off by saying, is rum the next big thing? I always say, well, rum is not the next big thing, but spice rum. Spice <laughs> uh, rum's got so much is, potential. It's got so oh, much potential because no. the spices are, in a going. sense, the botanicals. Mm. 
um, you'll get in a few quite really good craft spice realms. So you're going to see that word branded around. They're treating it like a gin as mm. such. They're mm. getting rum and then redistilling it with their, their local spices or a particular spice that gives it its own USP mm. and actually labeling it botanical rum. That is a category that's fast growing. And it and that is an introduction to, for some people, to the rum category because that might be the first encounter to a rum mm. because they, they may be they may assume that rums are all oh, big, heavy, dark spirits. And all of a sudden they get a nice spice rum with Coke or spice rum with ginger beer or ginger ale or tonic um, as well. And uh, they'll, they'll drink that and say, wow, this tastes good because the, the, the experience I'm getting is, is an experience I'm enjoying. So, Ian, yes. we have a bottle of Pampero here. And we do. Uh, you're going to make... Another cereal. And you are going to make us a cocktail with it, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, see, one of my one of my favourite uh, cocktails when I go to a bar, and I, I actually do it for, for several reasons. I, I always order a rum Manhattan. And one of the reasons why is because uh, um, when you go into certain types of bars and you have the bartender, especially if they recognise who you are, it's always nice to ask for a classic because you're challenging the bartender, you're challenging their knowledge, you're challenging the fact that this is one of the, quintessentially one of the uh, the cocktails that really showcase a spirit, one of those aromatic type cocktails. It's it seems simple because on on the outside it's only three ingredients, but it's actually technically a lot more mm. ingredients because we know the bitters is bringing mm-hmm. loads of ingredients to the table, the vermouth is bringing loads of the table to the table, and of course the rum. So I always ask for rum Manhattan. So uh, Pampero Anniversario is one of my favorite rums to actually use in a rum Manhattan because um, when you taste this particular particular rum from South America um, or actually from Venezuela, uh, such age in American oak casks, um, a blend of pot and column still, which not a lot of people know about um, as such. They think it's completely what's called column, but it's a blend of pot and column still. And then um, re-blended by one of my friends, Luis Figueroa, the master blender. When you taste this product there as a bartender, you get... Um, Lots of incredible uh, fruity and dry notes. So it really works well with a nice, big, rich, sweet vermouth. I normally use like a, a two parts of, of rum or two ounces or 50 mils of rum. I use uh, 25 mils of a sweet vermouth, like a, um, yeah, like a, um, trying to think of a sweet vermouth to use. Uh, Baltazar, is that good? Yeah. yeah there yeah, you yeah. go. Bit, Perfect. Bit, yeah, nice Baltazar in there. But then instead of using a um, a normal bitters, I then add a couple dashes of uh, chocolate bitters just mm. to complement that chocolate note I'm getting from the rum. And Venezuelan chocolate, right? Oh, You're yeah. Kind of linking oh, yeah. Food pairing. Yeah. Oh, a bit of food pairing as well. Mm. Yeah. So give that a nice stir <laughs> with loads of ice inside a big bottle stirring glass and, and then serve that in a nice chilled glass. And please, if you are making this for me, don't forget twist of orange and a nice uh, um, maraschino cherry. <laughs> Maybe even marinated in rum as well. So, so yeah. Oh, you, oh, you got the ice over there. I didn't realize the ice I've is over there. I've got the ice there for you. <laughs> yeah, There's a yeah. glass. I just want to. Uh, I thought we were just going to talk about it. Now you want me no, to make no, it? No, no, no. Actually, to make if you just make it, I want to taste it, Ian. <laughs> uh, let me get my, my mixing glass. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Excellent. Uh, spoon. Oh, spoon. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, nice, good measure of rum. Um, yep, my good measure of rum. Uh, sweet vermouth. Couple of dashes of bitters. This is strange when you're actually making a cocktail on podcast because no one can see you doing no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> they can't see your terrible technique. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm hiding that. <laughs> oh, that's cold. Then give it a nice stir. That's not sound effects, that's me stirring. <laughs> Of course, make sure it's nice and chilled. I know some bartenders say, oh, you have to stir it a certain amount of times. I'm like, no, you don't stir it. Just feel it. <laughs> Once you understand it's nice and chilled and cold. And then, yeah, and just pour into a nice chilled martini glass. 
twist of orange, just get the oils、um, sprayed out over the top of that just to get that aroma. Because as we know, about 85 to 90% of our taste comes from our sense of smell. So you can smell that freshness of the orange. Um, just a little bit of the chocolate bitters on the end、uh, to complement the rum and the vermouth. And there you have it a nice, simple rum Manhattan using Pampero and a Vaserio. Lovely. Oh, it smells good. You get a lot of the orange on the aroma. Yeah,、mm. yeah. And it, I think that's important as well. You can actually highlight Pampero. They lend themselves to a, a, a type of、um, uh, Latin style of drink、mm. where it is the citrus, it's the rum, the sugar, the daiquiri, rum trinity, thing,、yeah. the daiquiri. And then you're just basically enhancing it either with a bit of soda water and mint、um, as such. I mean, I personally,、um, when I'm making things like a, a punch,、um, like, a, like a rum punch as such, I like those big, heavy types of flavors I can open up because、mm. those fruits are there. And invariably, the rum would have come from a pot still or a bit of pot、mm. still inside there. But if I'm making a lighter style of drink for my customer, I do take advantage of these lighter style rums. It may be we're doing it in a cocktail where we're drinking punches or we're drinking daiquiris or drinking mojitos because it's a hot day and you just want something nice, nice little highball and buzzing and it's fresh as well. So I think、uh, the, the, the time,、um, where you're drinking it, how you're drinking it definitely plays an important part.、Mm-hmm. And the style of rum to really get the best out of that particular drink is important as well. And that's, that's why I love the rum category because there is a rum for every occasion. It's got everything in、well、there. For everyone. Okay, so I'm going to make a nice and simple Zacapa serve that can be made anywhere in a bar or at home. It's super simple. So what we're doing is we're taking a rocks glass. Putting a big chunk of ice in there or some cubed ice if you prefer. And then we're going to add around about 45ml of Zacapa, 23. Pour it over the ice. Next, we're going to add a little splash of absinthe,、um, about 7.5ml. And what this is going to do is just season the Zacapa slightly with some of those anise flavors.、Um, it's going to cut through some of the sweetness of the rum as well. Um, really cool it down a little bit with some of those aniseed and those herbal characteristics.、Um, and then we're going to add a splash of Peychaud's bitters, actually, two splashes.、Um, and then we're going to just add a little bit of gom just to balance that sweetness back out. So, kind of five mil of that. And you can really do this to taste. If you don't want the drink to be too sweet, then don't worry about the gom altogether. And if you're wanting a slightly sweeter, more indulgent cocktail, then By all means, up it a little bit. And then all we do is simply stir that over the ice. And once that's been stirred for around about a minute, just take a little strip of lemon, spritz it over the top of the glass. And again, that's going to add a little bit of freshness. This drink's basically a twist on a Sazerac cocktail.、Um, So, it would normally be made with cognac or rye whiskey, but it works just as well with a, a nice rich rum like Zacapa 23. So, I love this idea of global as well.、Um, we were talking about like, you know, taking rums from different parts of the world.、Mm. And I want to talk, also finish up actually, talking a little bit about the future of rum. Where do we see like rum going in the future, both in terms of the traditional producing regions,、mm. but also in terms of non traditional? Rum producing countries,、yeah. which are perhaps starting to make, make a name for themselves,、mm. or even places like,、um, uh, I don't know, like islands which have perhaps forgotten about a little bit mm. Um, mm. and are now sort of making a comeback. Well, I think that island, Madeira, is just a fantastic example of the fact that they had sugarcane on that island 
for way before it this went. This is what to I was alluding world. to yeah. when I said yeah. Uh, yeah. islands. Yeah. Yeah. Portuguese, Portuguese and, influence. And there it is. You know, yeah. they've been doing this thing, and they you know, maybe they haven't officially been making rum for very long, yeah. but I'm <laughs> sure they've been moonshining for a lot longer. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. that's the Portuguese influence. Yeah. You know? I think uh, yeah, all, so, the, you know, all the cane in the Caribbean came from Madeira originally, right? One of the stories, I think. Certainly via that word. Logomero-Canary Islands and Madeira would have been influenced into Brazil. I think at one time Madeira was supplying around a third of all the sugar in Europe before, before the Caribbean was colonized. So we have, I mean, it's unfortunate that, that things like sugar becomes a commodity item and you drive the price out because you always want cheaper. And I guess that you can, you can see that across all, of, mm. all, all aspects of industry and, and production. But they were making some great stuff. Yeah, which is, which is and, and you said there, it, it's, even though you might have an island that has quite strict re, um, rules and regulations because Madeira has their own appellation as yeah. such, Martinique is known within a rum industry to have that. But within Martinique, there's a high percentage of rums that don't follow those rules mm. and are still sold. You have molasses-based rums um, coming out of one distillery there. You have mm. a distillery there that has sugarcane that they would purposely leave for a couple of weeks and then distill in a pot still mm. instead of a column mm. still, um, which you have to, if you want to take advantage of the AOC um, out in Martinique, you basically have to use a column still and distill uh, between a, a, a 70 and 75% alcohol by volume. So this distillery, um, A17, 1710, they're called, do a pot still and they would use old cane so although they are not part of the appellation they are still rum from martinique mm. um so, very so, characterful very, yeah very delicious so outside so, yeah. the norms we have a lot of things i yeah. mean like the categorizations don't go everywhere but they lead you onto a good conversation yeah. point yeah. you got to do so they run everything through a stripping column before they yeah. put it in a pot still mm. Yeah. Okay, but that doesn't fit no that doesn't fit no classification. Yeah. But then so does Bundaberg. So yeah, you know. yeah, so, yeah. You, so we look for those points of difference, don't we? The, the bits that make people stand out, and these are the, the bits that really keep mm. me excited yeah. right now. I, I feel as passionate yeah, about but, the industry as I but, have done. But as you as you as you allude to the question, the rums coming from all over the world now that are great, and when we discover them, rums from say from Madeira, from Mauritius, um, you've got Phuket. Uh, Thailand, mm. um, Australia are now starting to, even though Australia was a big rum drinking um, nation there with a massive, massive distillery, even that distillery is looking to create craft, crafted rums. We're going to draw this to a close, but I've yeah. got, uh, everyone gets this, by the way, quick fire questions. Cool. You can do it in one word or you can elaborate as much as you want. They're not particularly, it's not a quid, so don't I bet, worry. I get a rum then. <laughs> <laughs> um, question number one um, What is your desert island cocktail? Ooh, Mai Tai. Or it could be Caribbean island cocktail, if you yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Does that work? Yes. Yeah, um, would be a rum punch. Mai Tai and a rum punch. Yeah. Oh, you're kind of along the same lines yeah, there, yeah. really. One of sour, two of sweet, three strong, four of weak, five of spice, and make it nice. <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I quite like a stirred down and brown, actually. I kind of find that I drink that at home. See, for me, if it's rum, I'd go tea punch because you don't need ice for that. Yeah, I knew I'd keep on there. It's a punch, it's a punch, it's a punch. <laughs> Oh, the, the, the acid would get to me after a little while. Yeah, I think, I think you get dehydrated oh, quite quickly. No, you just use the zest and this is a little bit, a little bit of peel. Then you'll be right. <laughs> Not getting any scurvy. Um, so the opposite question: Which is the cocktail you'd love to see buried forever? Ooh, what rum based or any any cocktail? It can be anything. Okay, cool. Bloody Mary. Mm. Bloody Mary. Why? <laughs> Like tomato, it's like cold soup, cold soup with vodka and spices. What's that all about? Yes, it is (laughs) the most popular (laughs) cocktail on a Sunday morning. What? What that? And on flights as well. Oh, no. And everyone no. drinks them on flights, yeah. which is crazy because if you get turbulence, you've got yeah, tomato juice all over yourself. We, we, need, we, need a, we, need a, we need a Bloody Mario. That's what we need. Or Rummy Mary. Bloody That's what we need. Mario, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Bloody Mary with rum. Hey, that, that might work. A nice Puerto Rican style light rum. That might work. Or 
Captain Morgan, Morgan White. Captain Morgan White inside a, in a Bloody Mario. There you go. <laughs> new, co- there you new cocktail. Go. There you go. New cocktail. <laughs> Pete, what was your uh, vodka martini? Vodka martini, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you can uh, see we're both vodka assassins. Yeah. Uh, what's the point? Uh, it's what just cold alcohol, James yeah. Bond. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, next question. Perfect bar. Favorite bar in the world. Doesn't matter what you're drinking. The, play, the one place oh. you can only drink for the rest of your life. Um... I, I can honestly say I don't have a favourite bar, but I have favourite bartenders. Um, oh, well, that's the next question. You're ruining this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say Jungle Bird, Kuala Lumpur. In Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, I'd be happy to be hanging around in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, it's a good bar. Can we good pin bar. you down to a bar as well, Liam? Oh, man, it's tough. Um, Mike I, if, it's, if you want to call it a rum bar, Mike okay. I in Port Lauderdale. Yeah. Okay. Loads of rum, especially in the back room. I've not been there, actually. Oh, you yeah, have to. The, Mo- yeah, the Molokai bar in the, the Mike I restaurant. And then, sort of in addition to that, if you're, you're working a bar shift, who do you want as your wingman or woman? Who's that one person you want there to tend bar with? Ooh, <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a bartender. It could yeah. just be a famous person yeah. or yeah. dead or alive. Uh, my favourite bartender at the moment is Tess. Yeah. Tess. Um, posthumous. Yeah, Tess Posthumous. Mm-hmm. Posthumous. I just think she, the energy that she has, just she just always makes me laugh. And uh, it makes you cry as well because she's just funny. Um, I was judging yeah, what class with her um, yeah. up in Glasgow. We were yeah. judging partners. She's got yeah, a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. I just did a guest bartender shift in her bar last week as well. So, uh, sorry, the week before because I was in Peru last week. Um, yeah, the week before. But yeah, Tess probably for me. Um, yeah, because she's just great, great fun. I'm going I'm to cool, I'm going to take the fifth on that. I don't know. Okay. Me? Should we say me? Yeah. <laughs> And we'll call it a day there, I think. <laughs> um, guys, thank you so much for coming in. It's been fascinating talking to you guys about rum. We, we should do this more often. Yep. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Bar Chat. Visit diageobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content. See you next time. <laughs>